never received. This level of care, this level of interest from any other but you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you come close to us when we feel far away. You come and find us when we feel lost and alone. Lord, wherever we are, when we feel abandoned, when we feel rejected, Lord Jesus, you come running with your arms toward us. What level of care is this? Lord, the interest that you have for us the affection that you give us. Lord, we never get the cold shoulder. We never get the the scowl of disapprovement. Lord, or the angry look or the, the critical comment from you. We never get that. Lord Jesus, we are amazed. We are amazed that, Lord, your steadfast love it just never ceases. It just keeps coming and getting deeper and deeper and deeper toward us. And there's so many new, fresh ways that we're awoken to it. Where it comes crashing in on the greyest of days. And you rescue us and you love us and you bring us close. Your steadfast love never ceases. It truly is new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. It's great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Awaken our hearts again to know this love. Awaken our senses again, Lord Jesus, to be aware. And as we draw close to you, we'll find you drawing close to us in ways that we've never known. And Lord, with John, Maybe, with, maybe, Lord, we will be able to say in true awestruck wonder, behold, what manner of love is this with which the Father has loved us? Let us see it. Let us comprehend it. Let us understand that we can never be separated from it. Lord Jesus, let us rest under the heavy sense of it. Every moment of every day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise. Woo! Oh, fantastic. It is wonderful to be together. It's wonderful to be in his presence And um, just for our time remaining this morning, we're going to eat some food, as Faye said, later. Um, But for our time remaining this morning, I just want to continue just along this theme that we've been talking about, about there's no place like home. There is no place like home. And you may never have thought about church as being a home. You may never have thought about church 
as being a family. But you know, church is God's home. Church is God's family. Church is a special place. You know, sometimes we have all kinds of strange ideas, don't we, about church. Sometimes we, our minds think about a church being, you know, a, a stony cold building with a, with a bell tower and weirdly dressed people saying weird kind of things and singing weird kind of songs. And we get all of these kind of ideas and thoughts about church. Church is a, is a place. But the Bible, you see, never presents church as a place. The Bible, when it talks about the word church, it dis- it's describing a people. It's not describing a place. It's describing a people. And it talks and uses terms like household, family, body, building, in, in the sense of living stones coming together, being built up and joined together. And it uses all of these terms to describe you and I. Church isn't a building, a cold, stony building that very often our minds would go towards when we hear that word church. Church is God's family. Church is God's home. Church is a place where, where God resides. And you know, the wonderful thing about a family is that it's the one place where you can have the newest of arrivals in a little baby being born. But it's also the place that, that celebrates and houses all of the different stages and ages of life successfully. The one place, home, that very often we take for granted. The one place, this place called family that, that God created, that originated with God, that came from his heart. This one place is the place that celebrates the, the newest arrival in, in the birth of a little baby, but it also is robust enough and equipped enough to be able to take life through its successive stages. And there are so many different successive stages in life. It can celebrate the newest arrival in the little baby being born, but it can also receive and respect the wisdom the wisdom of the elderly of the old age the home is a wonderful place family is a wonderful place it incorporates so many aspects and qualities and characteristics of life when you look at your own home maybe you know I said just a few weeks ago you know, sometimes we, 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 we can look back on our home life and we, we can have bad memories and bad experiences. And when you may look back today, you may have a very broken picture of home. You may have a very broken picture of what it means to be in a family. But God, you see, wants you to be in his family. His family is very different because he's the head of the home. He is the father of the home and he looks after his family. He looks after his children. And today, whilst we may have come from a broken home, whilst today we may have a broken picture of what a family is, 
God in his care and in his love and in his involvement in our lives can restore that meaning of what home is. He really can. So today, if you're in here and when you hear that word home, when you hear that word family, when you hear that word relationship, all of the alarm bells might be ringing and inside you may be saying, no, no, no. I've got too many bad memories, too many scars, too many injuries from all of that stuff back there. But God brings you into his household and wants to restore you and strengthen you and bring you on into this wonderful home and family that he's created. He really does. Now, the one ingredient, and we looked at it briefly just a few weeks ago, the one critical ingredient in any home, as we build our homes, as we build our families, as we build friendships and relationships, as we build our marriages, and even here, as we build this family together, the one critical ingredient in every family, in every home, is that of love. It's love that's critically important in every home, critically important in every family, critically important to our lives. If we are going to prosper, if we are going to be everything that Jesus wants us to be, the one ingredient that is necessary above all is love. You know, like oxygen is necessary to your body, love is necessary to your life. Love is necessary to your family life. Love is necessary to our church home here. If we're going to thrive, if we are going to prosper, and if we're going to go into everything that God wants for us. You know, if your body stops breathing, if you get trouble breathing and and your lungs start to collapse, your body starts to shut down. Your body starts to to close down and and it can be very damaging. It can damage your brain. It can damage your organs. And if there isn't, you know, anybody at hand to help you and to to bring you and to restore your breathing back, you know, it can be fatal. And it is like that with love in our lives. You know, if we don't have this love that God has given us in our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, very soon we begin to suffocate. Very soon our home life and our relationships one with another become strained and strife sets in and all kinds of things can occur and get complicated without this one ingredient. So it's vital, it's vital that we have this one ingredient in our lives. In fact, In John chapter 13, I read it. I'm going to just recap and read it again. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus is at the last point of his life, the the last night of his life. He's just had supper with his disciples and he wants to give them a new commandment. He wants to give them his final commandment. Being with them on this final night. And he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, 
all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, Jesus didn't say to his disciples, boys, listen, I need you to get on a building program. I need you boys to study architecture. I need you boys to get into design. I need you boys to promote what what I've been doing through the various means that the world offer. Use everything at your disposal, boys. Go to the colleges, go to the universities, educate yourself. I need to see that my, my life is stamped on this world by the buildings that you build. Through the education and the intellect that you develop. Do everything you can, boys, to to, uh, permeate the world with all the tools that you can use. No, Jesus, at at the final point of his life, at the close of his life, on the last night of his life, left them with this new commandment. He says, boys, this is the command I give to you. As I have loved you, as you have seen my love penetrate your lives, as you have seen me walk these last three years in the highways, in the byways, in the streets, in the homes, as you've seen my life and my, my love lifting the dead and healing the sick and being a listening ear and, and offering that unconditional care, as you've seen my example set before you, as you have seen me love you, Love one another. What a calling, what a high price, what a standard. Offer the same love to one another as I have given to you so unconditionally and so tirelessly. Time after time after time, Jesus came at his disciples. Jesus came at the multitudes. Jesus went into the streets and the highways of his time. Just pouring out this wonderful love, this unconditional love. The world around him, the church around him was so critical, so cold, so condemning. But the one thing that Jesus was noted for was this unconditional love that poured out of him. To anyone. It wasn't just to the people whose faces fitted It wasn't just to the high society of his time. It was to the lowest of the low. There was value in the person in the gutter. There was value extended to the person that was across a sea, living in a cemetery, naked, breaking chains. Nobody could get near him. Nobody wanted him. He was an outcast. But Jesus was driven to him on a boat. He had to go to a, through a storm to get to him. The boat, boat nearly broke apart. His disciples were freaked out. But Jesus had to get to a man that nobody wanted. That's what his love did. That's who he was. He was that kind of man. His love reached to a woman that was thrown at his feet and abandoned Naked, she'd just been pulled out of a, out of bed with a man that she was sleeping with, and she was condemned to die. They were calling her an, an adulterer, and she was thrown at Jesus' feet like a piece of rubbish, because nobody cared for her, nobody wanted her. Everybody was criticizing her except Jesus. They threw her at the feet of love, and he defended her. He stood up. He couldn't back down. 
He wasn't afraid of the angry men. He wasn't afraid of their critical comments. He wasn't afraid of standing up for this woman in the face of everybody. He couldn't back down. And if they'd have picked their stones up and started throwing them at him, he would have took every blow. Because that's what love does. This is an incredible love. This is an alien love. It offers us so much care, so much attention. It will take us on, and it does take us on. You may have problems stacked up higher than your house. You may have issues in your life, and nobody wants to touch you. And you feel as if you're at the bottom of the list and under the, under the heel of this world. And you feel alone, and you feel abandoned, but Jesus, Jesus... Never leave you or forsake you. He won't. That is the wonderful message of the Bible. It's an unconditional love. It's an unimaginable love. It's a love that's beyond your comprehension. And yet you can experience it. And you can know it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, wonderful love. So Jesus sets out this new command to his disciples. And it wasn't something that they could ever possibly achieve in and of themselves. But he knew that he was going to live on the inside of them and help them to do everything that he had commanded them. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Maybe think about your interactions with people. We need this love. We need this love in our homes. We need this love here among us. We need this love in our workplaces. We need this love to so permeate and hold our lives together. That in everything we do and in everything we are, we reflect who he is. You see, Jesus said, when this love begins to work amongst you boys, when it works amongst you guys, they're going to see it. The world are going to see it. And it's going to blaze with such beauty that they're not going to be able to ignore it. And they're going to attribute it to me. They are going to actually see that you belong to me as you extend this love to one another. It's going to be so colorful and so amazing. And so unique, they're going to attribute it to me. They're not, going to, they're not going to attribute your lives to me just by empty words and empty promises. This is a love that's demonstrable. This is a love that's active. This is a love that's unconditional, that keeps coming. As we've sung, it's an unrelenting love. It never gives up. It never backs up. It never fails. It keeps coming. It keeps coming at you. Do you know, whilst I was um, just thinking about this talk this morning, my mind went back to a car I used to have. And it was a funny little car. It was a Citroen. Anybody that's got a Citroen, you will know they're a funny little car, Citroens. And I had this car... And um, I had it for a number of years. 
And like any other car, like your car, my car, it had a dashboard with warning lights. And, you know, like very often the warning lights wouldn't come on. You know, only on rare occasions should warning lights come on. But one day I was driving to work and the warning light came on on the dashboard. Now, the warning light is there to indicate that you need to pay attention to an area of need in the car. That's the, the simple idea that I have about warning lights. But, you know, I was young and, like, I didn't have enough time to attend to the warning light. So I ignored the warning light and I carried on driving the car. Kept on seeing the warning light day after day after day. And then suddenly, you know, when you look, you know, you're, you're driving to work, you see the warning light there, you, you get a bit annoyed by it. It gets a bit of a pain, you know, it's flashing and it's quite bright. And um, remember this one day I thought, oh, if I tap the top of the dashboard, maybe the warning light will go off. You know what I mean? You know, you've done that as well, haven't you? We all think the same. So anyway, I, I gave the little dashboard a tap, nothing happened. So I got a little bit harder to the point where I smacked it so hard the dash actually shook and the warning light went off by hitting the dash. I discovered a new little secret. When the warning light comes on, you smack the dash as hard as you can and the warning light goes off. To me, that was an indication that everything was okay in the car now because the warning light was no longer on and I just drove to work happily. Got out of the car, got back in the car after work. All of a sudden, ignition goes on. Warning light comes back on. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this car? I'll have to hit it again. So I smack it again. And the warning light goes off. It's fantastic. And me and the car had this little sort of routine going on week after week. I can't say month after month, but week after week, certainly. We had this little routine going on. Warning light would come on in various places, going down the motorway, going down a small village road. Warning light. Dave would smack the dash as hard as he could. Warning light would go off. Everything's fine. Until one night, me and my mum, who is here this morning, were driving down the bypass, bypassing Astrid Munich. Astrid Munich, believe it or not. It was a cold night, a dark night, and we, I was going about 60 mile an hour. Warning light suddenly comes on. So I go through the motions of smacking the dash as hard as I can, except it was almost on this night, the car was talking to me. And the car was saying, Dave, do you know what? I've been warning you enough, son. I've been telling you all of these weeks. I've been flashing to you, Dave. And um, I've been flashing my warning. I've been trying to give my message to you, Dave, loud and clear. But I can't take this anymore, Dave. All of a sudden, there was a loud bang, a big puff of black smoke, and the car engine seized. And everything came to a standstill. We pulled over. Never forget it. We pulled over to the side rung the, the, the RAC up, and he came out about an hour later, 
And he said, he looked at the engine, he said, oh, mate, he said, he said, um, he said, you have cooked this engine. I mean, you have cooked it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, everything's welded together. He said, the pistons in the cylinders, he said, it's all welded. He said, it's just like one big, ugly, heated up component that will not move. You've cooked it. I said, well, can you fix it? He said, oh, no. He said, this, he said, this one is beyond repair, son. He said, it's beyond repair. He said, my advice to you would be to tow it straight to the scrapyard. Oh, it was worse than that. So he towed it up. He got it on his truck. And off we went to the scrapyard. And that was the end of my relationship with that car. Over and done with. But you see, if I had have attended to the early warnings, the early warnings, then I'm sure I would have still had that car today, driving around in my little Citroen. But I didn't, you see, I ignored the warnings. I ignored the flashing light on the dash. In fact, I got angry with the warnings. I got angry with the instruction until I started to beat the head of that little dashboard until the warning light would go off. And then I thought everything was fine when suddenly it wasn't fine. It was getting worse. It was getting worse. Even though the light was going off, this thing was progressing. This thing was going somewhere until that one night where everything came to a standstill and it was over. It was over. Do you know, I learned a lesson there. Attend to the warnings. But I I think I began to think about a deeper lesson too. You see, there's warning lights in our lives. And sometimes the warning light comes on in the form of loss of peace. And you feel uncomfortable and it's not even the circumstances around you but there's a there's a light a loss of peace in your life and the warning light comes on and it says attend to me notice me listen to me and when those warning lights come on in our lives we have got to we have got to attend to them Paul when he was writing to the Corinthian church He began to speak to them and he began to show them the dashboard of church life. He began to show them all of the different warning lights that were there, that were there to be listened to. They were instructional and they had to be attended to. This church, when you look at the Corinthian church, when he wrote the letter to them, they were having family problems, you could say. They were having problems in their home amidst them. There was one fighting against another. They were comparing one another. Ministers were comparing, or or the people were comparing the ministers against each other. And they were starting to break apart. And there was all kinds of, of, um, you know, moral issues going on in the church. And then they started to, you know, parade their gifts. They were, they, they were hiding behind these great abilities that, that they had. And on the surface, everything looked great. Everything looked brilliant. 
But Paul, as the master mechanic, plugged them into the diagnostics and began to read what was happening beneath the surface. Began to see all of the, all of the, all of the warnings and all of the error codes coming up. And he encouraged them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't, you know, smack them up the side of the head and say, listen, you've got to sort your life out. No, he just tenderly went to them and he said, guys, listen, you come behind in no gift. As far as gift is concerned, you're, you're ahead of anybody. As far, what was he saying? As far as skill is concerned, as far as your abilities are concerned, you're, a far, you're, you're way in front of anybody. But I want to show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says this, if we've got it up there. No. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. At the end of that verse, it says, Paul says, and yet I show you a more excellent way but earnestly desire the best gifts he's just talked to talk to them about all of the great gifts that they've got and he doesn't want to you know belittle them he's saying great you've got your gifts but then he says I want to show you a more excellent way I want to show you the best way for your life don't just be preoccupied by getting somewhere with your gifting don't just be preoccupied by by puffing yourself up in what you can do and your abilities and your talents. I want to show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and he begins to open what that excellent way is. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't think any evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, he says, do you know what? Love never fails. It never fails. The warning lights were flashing in the Corinthian church. They were flashing. I had one warning light on my dashboard, but they had probably a thousand warning lights flashing on their dashboard. There was every kind of warning coming up on the dash of that church. They were impatient. They were fighting. They were taking everyone to court. They were parading themselves around the church, strutting their stuff with pride. Nobody was suffering long with one another. They were behaving rudely. They were talking out of turn. They were provoking each other. They were thinking evil things about one another. And Paul saw all of these warnings. And then he just plugs the diagnostics in and he says, guys, listen now. The more excellent way is this way. And he brings it all back to what Jesus had spoken on the last night of his life. In the darkest moment, in the darkest hour, he would be betrayed. He would be denied. He would be whipped and beaten and scorned. People would criticize him and even roll dice and play games at the foot of the cross. 
And yet at the end of it all, he would say, Father, forgive them. You see, love never fails. And today, in our home, in this place, the one ingredient that we prize, the one ingredient that we want to go after is not just supernatural gifts. It's earthy, practical, real, down-to-down, day-to-day living. Practical love that's real and tangible and active. That's, that's, that can look in the eye and show interest without any conditions attached. That can go the extra mile. That can, when it's struck on the one side of the cheek, can offer the other genuinely. And when asked to walk a distance, it can go the extra distance and beyond. That's what love does. Just going to ask James to come. We're going to close just in a few minutes. Do you know, I remember as a kid, I used to go fishing. And, um, you know, we all know, well, probably most of us know how that happens. Tie your hook on the line, you bait the hook, and then you cast out. And you wait for a fish to bite the bait. And that's the simple process of what happens when you go fishing. And I remember, you know, you'd be waiting there and suddenly the, the, the float would just start to bob. And it would move and you'd just have to wait patiently. Because if you, if you struck the rod too early, you may not catch the fish. But when that float goes down, after a certain point, you strike that rod and you've caught the fish and you're fighting with the fish, but you reel that thing in, then you land it with a net. And I always remember, you know, fishing and bringing the fish out of the water and suddenly this fish, the whole body of the fish would writhe. It would twist and contort. And you could see it's just like complete chaos for the fish. Why? Because you brought it out of its natural environment. That fish, before it bit the bait on that hook, was in its own environment. And it's calm. It's peaceful. It works in the water. It lives in the water. It's designed for the water. But the moment you take the fish out of the water, it's almost like there's... A chaos and a violence as its body writhes and its gills open because it's not in its natural environment. And that's what it's like very many times when, you know, we live outside of this love that God's provided for us. We're like the fish that bites the bait, that gets reeled in, brought out on land and suddenly we're writhing and suddenly we're battling and suddenly we're fighting and suddenly all of these strange emotions are going through us as we're taking on life through our own strength, through our own ideals. We don't belong outside of this. We've been created to have God's love and to respond to life And to anything about life with his love. And as we do. 
as we discover this Fantastic. As we discover this life, as we discover this life, there's another whistle. We'll be able to suffer long. We'll be able to rise above any envy. We'll be able and secure enough not to parade our strength, parade our lives, hoping to get the admiration of others. No, we'll be secure in ourselves in who we are. We won't behave rudely. We'll not seek our own. But we'll prefer others above ourselves. Because that's what love enables us to be. When we're provoked, we won't think evil. But we'll respond correctly and appropriately. We'll not rejoice when iniquity is passed out on others. But we'll be able to bear all things, carry the weight. No matter how heavy that weight gets, there'll be a love inside us that can bear it. Believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And we will have that never-failing love within us. Jude 1.21 says, Keep yourself, keep yourself in the love of God. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes just for a moment. I'm going to ask some musicians to come. Do you know, you may be here today. You may be here today and you may have been a few times or it may be your first time today. You've heard us sing songs and you've listened to me and you may have understood some of it and you may not have understood much of it. But today, you know That inside of you, there's an empty place. You may have tried to put everything in that empty hole inside, like we've all done. Relationship after relationship. I want to fill the hole. I want to fill the emptiness inside. Maybe alcohol, maybe drugs, maybe money, career, study. You try to fill it. If I can just get to this point, then I'll be satisfied. You get there and you're still not satisfied. The hole is even bigger and you're more empty. I want to say to you, all of those things may be, you may have tried, but there is only one person in this world that can fulfill and fill that hole inside. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You don't have to be a good person to ask him into your heart. You don't have to be a person that's gone through religious duties and all of these different things. You just have to say, Jesus, like we've done. Jesus, would you come into my heart, please? Let's close our eyes while eyes are closed right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like Jesus to come into your heart, pray this prayer with me. It's just an invitation like you'd invite somebody into your home. Open the door, say, come on in. I'd like you to come into my house. That's what you're going to do right now. But it's going to be your heart, your life. Say these words. Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe 
that you died for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I accept you right now. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, I want to give you a moment. Would you lift your hand up? We've got a little booklet we'd like to give you. We want to welcome you into God's family. Is there one person here this morning? Lift your hand up. We'll see it. And we'll give you a little booklet. That's it, my love. Yeah, that's it. It takes courage, you know. Maybe a bit strange to lift your hand up in this place. But one lady's done that. Is there one more? I want to just give you just a moment. And then we're just going to stand and sing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word this morning to us. And Lord, we thank you that you have shared abroad in our hearts your love by your Holy Spirit. This week, the months ahead, the years ahead, Lord, we pray that life would just cause this love to be revealed. That men and women, as they look at us, would, re- would understand that we are yours because of the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 